So I know it's kind of, it's, it's weird right now. It's a, it's a weird time um, because sometimes you feel fine. You know, at least that's how I feel. Sometimes I feel like everything is just normal. Everything is just going the way that it's supposed to go. Um, and then other times, you know, I'll check, I'll check the stats. Like, I'll look at it, and it'll be like, uh, you know, 700,000 cases, over 700,000 cases today. Um, I think over 33,000 deaths. And you'll get really anxious. You know, sometimes you might feel like, and I don't know what it's like for, I mean, it's different for all of us in the context we're in. Some of us are still going to work. Some of us are working from home. You know, and, and some days it might just seem pretty normal, and then other days you go to the grocery store and stuff isn't there, and you just feel like, what's what's going on, you know? Uh, and you have this, like, anxiety. You have this fear. You have this sense. Sometimes you feel it's normal, and then other times you just, there's this, kind of just general anxiety in the air and any time it can just come to you and all of a sudden you're scared about something like your life or your job or you know your finances or somebody you know your parents you know someone in the health healthcare field and it's totally understandable with what's going on in the world right now but the question we're going to look, out, look at today is, how can we nevertheless hold on to hope? You know, how can we, in fact, not only hold on to hope, not only resist the temptation to fall into despair, to lose heart, but how can we, in fact, grow in hope? How can we grow in hope despite the fact that things seem like, things feel like they're getting you know, worse and worse. You know, that's the question that we're going to look at today. So if you guys, uh, if you have your Bibles in front of you, uh, why don't we go ahead and open up to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18. If you don't have it, it's right there on the screen. And this is God's word, and it says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal." Now, Paul, he opens up here in this passage, and he says, we do not lose heart, kind of despite the things that are happening in the world, despite uh, kind of the fact of trouble, the fact of worry, the fact of anxiety. We do not lose heart. And he presents these two contrasting realities. Right? He says, our outer nature is wasting away. Outwardly, externally, we are wasting away. But inwardly, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. And so he's, he offers this up. And as Paul offers this up, he is saying this for essentially the suffering and the dying, kind of the context of this passage. He's talking about 
you know, our bodies wasting away. Uh, it's a truth to help us maintain hope for those who are truly in kind of a dire situation. And, you know, because Paul, other places in Scripture, you know, for example, Philippians 4, he offers up, Philippians 4.13, he offers up kind of a, a hope or even a, a truth, a way for us when we are in abundance, when things are good in a sense. You know, when he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, you know, I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have abundance. I know what it is to be in need. And that is more kind of a truth for the fact of how to deal with hope when we have an abundance or how to, de- how to focus on Christ in that situation. This is a different situation. It is speaking more to when we are suffering. It is speaking more to when we are in affliction. Now, I have no right to speak on this just out of my own experience. You know, because you may think, well, how can Paul say this or, or how can we think this when we don't know what the suffering is, which suffering is being addressed? Now, it's not, I'm not the one who's saying it. Paul, speaking out of the authority of the word of God, is the one who's saying it. And in fact, Paul, the author, because I'm not offering you my truth, I'm offering you Paul's truth out of the authority of God's word. And if you think about Paul's life, Paul lived this. Like this is what Paul's life was. After he met Christ, his entire life really was suffering, right? I mean, uh, this is 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 23 through 28. And, and this, is, like, this is what Paul went through. Uh, verse 23, it says, Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received the ha- at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of stuff, right? I'm not sure if I've, I mean, a lot of those things I don't think I may ever face in my entire life. And yet Paul you know, this is just to, to say, Paul, he, he knows what he's talking about when he's talking about suffering, right? When he says, there is a way for us to not lose heart, even in the midst of great suffering. He's not saying it as, a, as an incredibly privileged individual who has not faced a lot of suffering. He's saying it as somebody who lived suffering. That was his life. Now, so on this subject, what Paul does is he presents these two contrasting realities, Right? Now, the more obvious one, so this will be, there are three realities we need to step into to be able to deal with the suffering that we're facing, to be able to have hope, not only to have hope or to hang on to hope, but to have a growing hope in Christ. 
And so the first reality is the most obvious one. He says, our outer self, our outer nature is wasting away. Right? Our brain, just that's a part of our body. You know, our lungs, our sight, our strength, our bones, our heart, you know, our, our, our literal heart is wasting away. You know, I don't think that's a reality that we should begrudgingly accept. It's one that we should, in fact, lean into. And I think we all know that, right? But there's a difference between knowing it and believing it. And I think the older we get, the more we believe it, right? Uh, you know, there's a place called, um, you know, Play Pie. Many of you guys know what Play Pie is. But if you don't know what Play Pie is, it's this, uh, it's this like, indoor playground at um, the source, you know, one of our favorite spots, you know. So, uh, and it's, you know, source for, for little kids, right? You go in there, and usually when you go in there, what you see, the scene is there's kids all running around crazy, particularly if you go on a busy day. There's kids running around crazy, and then there are parents, you know, passive-aggressively battling one another for for a place to sit down, right? Because that's kind of how it is. The kids are running around and all the parents are kind of just like, I need to grab a spot to just like sit down. And you see the difference between the priority of, you know, children and the priority of parents. Now, for me, um, I don't know, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not afforded uh, the chance to sit much because Micah doesn't let me sit, right? He doesn't really, he really doesn't like it when I sit down. And so just out of sheer will and persistence, he will get me to basically run around and play with him. And, you know, there's like a ball pit, there's slides, you know, there are all these kind of different things. And one of the things that's there is it's like a, you know, it's like a tube, it's like tubes, it's like a tube system. I don't know what to call it, but, um, you know, imagine what there is for like, um, mice or like hamsters you know that's basically what like something you would put in a in a hamster cage like they have this for children and the kids you know they climb up it and they run around they'll go through the tubes and things like that and Micah he'll he'll say to me he'll like Appa, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna go this way I'm gonna go through this tube obviously it's a small tube for to fit children and so I can't go through it so he's like I'm gonna go through this tube like meet me over there you know, meet me over there in, like, the big section kind of up there. And so he runs through the, you know, he's going all fast. And, you know, it gets me excited. I'm, I'm happy to see him doing it. I'm, like, filming him. And he's over there. He's like, you know, it's clear. So he's like, you know, Daddy, come over here, right? Like, come here. Like, hurry up. Like, we're racing. You know, so I'm like, okay, cool. So I get all excited. So I start, you know, kind of running to go up the normal, the ramp, right, from the bottom. And so I'm, I'm kind of running and other parents are looking at me kind of weird. I'm running, and I'm, like, looking at him, and I'm filming, and I'm running like this, and all of a sudden, bam! <laughs> I, uh, I banged my, like, I was turning back, like, I was running full speed, and I'm turning back, and obviously, it's designed for children, so there's just, like, these overhangs, and I just hit my head, like, well, some, some spit was coming out there. You know, I just hit my head. That's not good for the virus. I hit my head straight into this thing, like, as I'm turning back, I can see it, and, but I wasn't fast enough to dodge it. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's a time like that, like, my, my oldness, right, like, my body, the wasting away of my body is on full display, particularly in light of, in the context of the pure youth like surrounding me of these children just running around. They're like falling down. You know, they're flipping it. They're doing whatever. They just have endless energy. 
And that's when you realize, you know, it's like it's true. We are wasting away. I think there was a time in my life, you know, pre, uh, pre-ACL reconstruction, I may have been able to dodge that overhang, but I could not in that moment. And that's what we're facing. You know, the, we're wasting away, right? Our outer nature is prone to destruction. And in fact, every time I play with my kids, it's like I'm, I'm a little bit more aware of my impending destruction. Now, the Bible says there's two reasons for this, right? First, there's the fallenness of the world. You know, Romans 8, 20 speaks to this. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So the curse of sin is in fact that not only is our, bo- you know, our bodies, of course, are included in that, but all of creation is wasting away. All of creation is subject to the consequences of sin, the effects of sin. So not just our bodies, right? That includes nature, and we see it, earthquakes, climate change, viruses. Creation is subject to the effects of sin. Not only that, all of our possessions, anything you own, right? Your house, your car, you know, your phone, like everything is prone to wasting away to this destruction. So first, there's the fallenness. of the Secondly, there's the fallenness of people in the world. So because all of creation is naturally wasting away, there is that, and our bodies are subject to that. But also, people are fallen. Like there's destruction that happens to people because of other people. Right? And it may be an accident, like a car accident. But it may be Malicious, it may be a shooting or a bombing. These are also things that happen. Now, the obvious application here before we just move on don't invest in the world because everything's wasting away. It's not a good investment. Right? Knowing that these things are on the path to destruction, these are not the places that we should be. And it doesn't mean you can't have anything or do anything in the world. It just means where our hope and our faith is should not be in these things. Now, that's that's kind of the bad news. Now, now it's it's ultimately not bad news when you take it along with the good news and when you accept that that is just the reality. Uh, But there is a, a contrasting point to this, right? The contrasting point is we are being renewed day by day, right? Our outer nature is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Now, let's, uh, let's consider the implications of the word renewed. It implies that hope fades over time. It implies that faith in Christ inevitably wanes. You know, you can't survive today on yesterday's food. That's just not possible. Now, don't miss the, the kind of encouragement that's, that that's meant to be 
if we are in Christ, we are at once made new, but we are also renewed every day, day by day, meaning every day you need a new hope. You need a renewed hope day by day. Now, there are two, again, there are two complementary biblical truths on this point. Here's truth one. Every day, there are new troubles. Right? Every day, there's new troubles. Today, there's Sunday trouble. Tomorrow, there's going to be Monday trouble. Right? Like Matthew 6, 34 says, every day, you know, each day has trouble of its own. And me telling you, like, tomorrow there's going to be trouble, that's not me being prophetic, right? That's not me saying anything that's out of the ordinary. I'm not saying something specific for your life. I'm saying generally there's going to be new trouble. I think right now in this context that we're in, that's probably, we're probably more aware of that maybe than ever because there are weird kind of troubles that just occur all of a sudden every day. And I was thinking about this. You know what would be a nightmare scenario right now in the context of our world right now if all of a sudden there was a widespread outage of internet? Like, we would all be like, oh, like you better bust out your cards and just play solitaire every day because that's like the only leisure that you're going to have access to all of a sudden. There, is n- there will be no other, like, you'll have to be physically isolated and you won't even be able to, like, you know, talk to another person even through, like, if all the cell towers went down. Like, even the no texting, no calling, no nothing. That would be crazy. How would you even get your news? You'd have to bust out those, you know, those flashlight radios you got in the closet for in case of an emergency. That's how you'd have to get your news. I mean, that would be some kind of trouble. Every day, there's, there's new trouble, and it might not be that. It'll be something else. Car breaks down. What are you going to do? You know, there's something that you need that's not available. What are you going to do? Somebody gets sick. What are you going to do? There is trouble every day. That's truth number one. But here's truth number two. Every day, there are new mercies. Every day, there are new mercies. This is Lamentations 3, uh, 19 to 26. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't think the text is available. But it says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continuously remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Right? The mercies of God are new every morning. So yes, we will have trouble every day. Here's the contrasting point that you need to know. There is renewal every day. There are new mercies every day to be had. You can't live today on yesterday's mercies. You need new mercies for today. You need new grace for today. See, Jesus never intends for us to arrive at a level of faith and hope that stops disheartening from ever happening. That's, that's, in fact, the opposite of what the text is saying here, right? That, in fact, undermines what the text is saying here. The text is saying we are wasting away. That is a reality that we will face every day. The Bible says, in, also in other texts, there's new trouble every day. 
There will be new anxieties every day. There will be new things to deal with and to worry about, new hardships every day. There will never be a time where we will feel like, okay, I've just, I've got it now. It's all taken care of. I'm never going to worry again. I'm never going to stress again. I'm never going to have any kind of anything ever again. And we've been talking about, you know, the past few weeks we've talked about this, where these anxieties can come from. Sometimes it's storms, things outside of your control. Sometimes it's our priorities are misordered. We think there are so many necessities when there's really just one necessity. And yet there is just the general every day, every day. And that every day reminds us that every day we need to be renewed and every day we can be renewed in Christ. We have this renewal available to us in Christ. This is why it's so crucial, particularly right now. Look, you're not doing anything at every night, right? There's nothing available. There's, there's no movies, you know, that you can go to at least to a theater and watch. You know, a lot of things are even shutting down, coming out. There's no sports. You can't hang out. You can't go to a restaurant. You know, if ever there's a time, you know, if you're, if you're a believer, if there's ever a time to really just sit at God's feet, to sit at the feet of Jesus and to be in the word every day, to find renewal every day, it's now. And so I would encourage you, church, you know, really lean into that, that reality that you need renewal every day and you have renewal available to you every day, new mercies every day in Christ. Now, finally, Paul says in line of these two realities, there is a third reality that will continuously lead us to hope, to, in fact, increasing hope in affliction. Right? So let's, let's look back at the passage Paul says, this light, this slight, and that word slight really, uh, it, uh, I mean, slight is an okay translation, but it might better be translated light in terms of uh, the weight of it. This light momentary, and that's, I believe, how it's translated in the NIV. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So if you look at that text, light, momentary affliction, corresponds to eternal weight of glory. Light corresponds to weight, both a measurement of heaviness, and momentary corresponds to eternal, both a measurement of time, and affliction corresponds to glory. So Paul is deliberately contrasting these two things, and he is saying what, what he's saying is, in all likelihood, when Paul says this light momentary suffering, he's actually talking about, he's not saying that any time you face suffering, it's going to be short. What he's actually saying is, the suffering that you will face for your entire life will be considered short and light when compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us in Christ. Now, real quick, before I move on, if there's something that we can take from the current situation, um, I would say one of the things is this life is short. You know, I mean, now we, we I think we realize we don't have control as many as of as many things as we thought we had control of. I think we realize not as many things are essential to us as we thought were. But something else we should think about is that life is short. 
James 4, 13 to 15 says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I mean, that seems like an incredibly relevant passage for the time that we're in. It says, you're a mist. You know, you're a vapor. You guys ever, like, have you been to a, a amusement park, you know, on a really hot day? And you guys know they have those, like, mist stations, right? Like, you go there, and they're just shooting out mist, right? Or even even better, you know, you know those uh, fans, right? You could buy one of those fans. It's like a fan, but it's connected to a spray bottle, and then you can spray it, and you get, like, a mist for a second, right, on a really hot day. How long does that last, that feeling of coolness? I mean, it literally lasts just the second that you feel it. That's it, right? How is Paul able to say that the totality of the suffering that you will face in your life can be characterized as light momentary affliction? Because that's our life. It's a mist. It's here for a second, and then it's gone. We are a speck. We are a dot on the timeline of time. Now, the miraculous thing about it is that in that speck, in that millisecond of a moment on the chronograph of history, we are able to do things, we are able to participate in events that will affect all of eternity or that will last, that will have lasting implications in eternity. But we must make the most of those opportunities. Now, going back to the suffering, it, it, you may say, uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't feel short, though. right?" And that's completely understandable. Suffering never feels short. So how is Paul able to see it that way? How can he say that this light momentary affliction, you know, how can he call it light momentary affliction? Now, so when we look at the passage, the verb that connects light momentary affliction to eternal weight of glory is this word uh, preparing. And uh, in, the, in the Greek, in the original, it is the word kater gadzatai. Uh, you don't have to remember that. But, um, just gave it to you to prove that I knew what the word was. Um, but it means to produce, to cause, or to bring about, right? To, to prepare. So the affliction that you are facing right now is preparing the glory for the next life. So what Paul is saying ultimately is that the weight of the glory is affected. And when it says weight, it doesn't just mean weight. It's kind of weightiness or heaviness. So the heaviness of the glory, the fact that it will be weighty, is affected by the light momentary affliction that we are facing now. So Paul's not saying that here's how you get through it, right? And here's how you have hope in the midst of it. Just the fact that one day there will be glory. No, he's saying, in fact, every Affliction that we face now is connected directly to the glory that will be revealed in the end. 
It's not just like everybody goes through some kind of suffering, you know, and some people go through more suffering and other people go through less suffering. And in the end, it's going to, we're just going to all have glory. And so it's going to make up for it. He's not saying that the glory just follows the suffering. He's saying the glory is proportionate to the suffering. It is in some way linked to that suffering. Every moment of our misery in the path of obedience is preparing for us a particular glory that we will receive for that particular suffering. Whether it is criticism or cancer, whether it is sickness or slander, your lifelong total affliction is doing something. Now, you know, we love good stories. You know, stories are kind of universally uh, loved as humans. I think there is something put in us. Stories make us uh, connect to some aspect of our reality, even when the plot isn't really real, right? Like, like the plot can be something totally ridiculous, but the emotions and kind of the things that people feel and the way that they react in, uh, in, in some way, it makes you feel very connected, right? Like one of my favorite TV shows of all time um, was the show Lost, right? Which is really not connected to reality. I mean, at the core of it, it's about, I mean, it starts as just like a story about a people who plane crash on an island, but it turns out that the island is mystical and there's these other forces going on and, you know, there's time travel. And it gets all crazy at some point. But for me, the reason I liked it wasn't really all that, I mean, all that stuff was interesting too, but really what was interesting was the characters. And there would be these flashbacks and you could see kind of flashbacks into people's lives and you would see how it would affect the way that they are. Getting to see the events of a person's life that gives you insight into how they think and how they operate and hidden hurts that have shaped them. And, you know, it's informed something. It's informed their cynicism, uh, their upbringing, you know, made them a certain way. It made them cunning or it made them clever or it, it made them, you know, gave them these certain motivations that drove them to be the person that they are. That's very interesting to us. You know, we like those kind of stories. And we like stories because each of us has a story. We have a narrative. We have a script, you know, whatever you want to call it. And understanding the present, right, for us, often takes, like, flashbacks into our past. Right? We have to go back and we have to reinterpret the things that have happened to understand our story. Every affliction you have faced has helped to shape you to make you who you are today. But... And that's important, but that will not lead you to an increasing hope. What will lead you to an increasing hope is a flash forward into your future. Is that every affliction you face now is leading you to an eternal glory in the future. An incomparable glory that is given to us in Christ. Every debt, you know, at the end, when every debt is, you know, every debt of injustice is collected upon, when every heart is healed completely, when all the wounds and the scars do not remain, when every doubt and every fear is silenced, and no tear will ever again be shed, 
except, I imagine, tears of joy being overwhelmed in the glory and the grace of God. Church, remember that promise. Every affliction in this life, every anxiety, every stress, every difficulty, every hardship, every persecution, every sickness, every hurt that we face in Christ is preparing for us glory in the life to come. Your afflictions are never meaningless. And I know that because Christ's afflictions were not meaningless for he faced the greatest affliction. He faced being wholly undeserving, being completely innocent. He suffered. He endured physical pain. He endured emotional abandonment and betrayal and shame. And he was beaten and he was crucified and he was spit on. And that was not meaningless. He faced the ultimate suffering and thus Christ himself inherits the ultimate glory for at his name every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And we in Christ are given the opportunity to share with Christ in that inheritance and in that glory. Remember that promise, church. I would just say here um, at the end, I'm, you know, been saying this, but if you're unsure about eternity, if you're unsure about where you stand, you know, because these afflictions that we face, they are meant to be faced in Christ, and that is what leads us to glory. Um, you know, now's the time. Like, give yourself completely to Christ. Ask Him for forgiveness. Trust in Him for salvation. He faced the greatest affliction so that we could endure any affliction that we face knowing that he has gone before us, knowing that he has done that. In fact, you know, he, he, he endured affliction for the sake of the people who afflicted him, for the sake of the people who caused him to suffer. That is the love and the grace of Christ that is offered to us today and every day. And so let's put our faith and trust in that. Let's pray together, church. God, we thank you so much that you are greater, you know, that you are more powerful than uh, what we face now. God, and I know that it's, it, it is unprecedented and strange, God. There are days, I think, when we feel like nothing has changed. It's kind of normal. Um, and there are other days, I think, God, when we are facing... Um, when, when really the day-to-day -day trouble feels overwhelming. I know, God, that there are many out there, you know, going through difficult times. Lord God, some of our jobs are on the line. Some of us, uh, we are facing some financial difficulty. Some of us are at risk because of our jobs. God, some of our loved ones are at risk. Uh, some of our loved ones are sick, God. And we pray, Lord, that you would remind us just of your power, your grace, your love, and what we find in the gospel that every affliction we face, God, that every difficulty, every challenge, 
uh, is not meaningless, God. It is not forgotten. Uh, it is not just something that happens before we get to enjoy glory with you, God, but it is, in fact, preparing for us the glory that we will experience in your presence. I pray, God, that you would convict our hearts of that, Lord. Uh, for some of us, perhaps convict us for the first time, God, that that is uh, true, that is why you came, that is why you died, that is why you were resurrected from the dead, Jesus. Help us to put our faith in you every day for that because we need it every day to face the troubles that we see every day, God. Thank you that you are with us every day. Uh, we entrust ourselves, our church, our lives into your hands. We thank you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.